0: are continuing and, uh, I guess, ending our series, our three-part series, Priest, Prophet, and King, Priest, Prophet, and King. And this morning, we are talking about Jesus as our King, Jesus, the once and forever King. Psalm chapter 2, here's what it says, "'Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain?' Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession, and you, you will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment." Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for the king, the king of kings. God, as we examine our hearts and we examine our lives, uh, God, help help us to ask the question to ourselves if we have surrendered to the king of kings. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for our king. It's in his name we pray, amen. If you look at this psalm, and you'll see this with many psalms, is that it's a messianic psalm, meaning that we've got a couple different layers. So if you look at Psalm 2, you've got a couple different layers to Psalm 2. You have the context in which the day it's happening, all right, in the present time here as this is written, Psalm chapter 2. And then you have another layer, kind of that ultimate layer. And that is in the context of talking about Jesus, right? It's a picture of this Messiah. It's a picture of this king to come. So we've got both of these layers, and if you look at Psalm 2, you're going to see uh, in three of the different gospels, you'll see in Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 5, Acts chapter 13, they reference Psalm 2 in talking about Jesus, in talking about Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, this king, this ultimate king, that was to come, and so we see that here in Psalm chapter two, this uh, particular psalm is a coronation psalm. In, in other words, what's going on in the present time is David, we believe probably David, or or some king, is being installed as the new king. And so you read it, and, you, and you'll see what's happening here. This is why the nations conspire and the uh, plot, uh, the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up, and so what's taking place, right? If we go to the present context is that this king is being installed, and the other nations are rising up. Now, this wasn't uncommon. What would happen is if a king was installed, a new king comes into power, the other nations around would kind of want to test that power, right? right? You want to find out where they stand. And so it was a common thing. A new king comes into play, and all of a sudden the other nations then want to kind of challenge him. So this is taking place. This is, so the context here is God is installing his king On Israel, Zion, Jerusalem. So the king's been installed, but what we see is that God is going to back this king, right? God's going to thwart the enemies. God tells him that he's with him and he's with his people. But as you continue to read Psalm 2, and you continue to look at it, one, one thing you realize is that, okay, this is, this is great. Present day, we see the king being installed, probably David being installed. But one thing we realize reading this very quickly is that there is no earthly king who can fulfill what the psalmist is talking about, right? Kings can give us a picture, and David can even give us a picture of this king that is to come, was to come. But no king, no earthly king can fully do what the psalmist is talking about. That's why you read through the Gospels and you look in Hebrews and you look in Acts and you realize, oh yeah, you know what? There, there is another layer to this. This psalm is talking about this Messiah that is to come. This once and for all king, this king of kings, this ultimate king was to come. And the psalmist is telling us about this king that was to come. So as we read through Psalm 2 together, there are three things I want us to see. First of all, that we have a true king. We have a king. There is a king that once and for all. The second thing that we're going to see is that when there is a king, our human heart, our human nature is to hate the king. We don't want the king. We want nothing to do with the king. And the third thing we'll see is that we have a great need for the true king. We have a great need for a king. So those are the three things. We see we have this ultimate king in Jesus. And the second is that we hate the king. But third is that we need the king, and we must realize that. There is a king of kings, and the true king has been installed. It's, it's, if, you, if you look, I think this is True in, in most cultures, and you look back, there there's this kind of if you think about it, there's 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 these great stories that are told, right? And the story kind of goes like this, and, and you can see it in many cultures. The story goes like this: that there was a great king, and he was wise, and he was powerful, and and he loved, and he was just and he was wise, he was all these things. And during his reign, all was right, right? The land prospered and all was going well. But then the king leaves, and what happens? Despair falls on the land. The land, the kingdom, was not what it once was when that king was there. You know those stories, right? I mean, you look, look back at the stories we've heard. You guys know the story of Robin Hood, right? The king's in place. He's off to battle. Decay in the land. Robin Hood's trying to save the day a little bit. King shows back up, right? All is, sto- all is restored. So we know that. We've heard that story. We know the story of King Arthur. There's a new movie coming out about King Arthur. I think they make one every 10 years or so. But we know the story of King Arthur and Camelot. And when King Arthur was there, everything was great. All was going well. In fact, uh, it's said that on King Arthur's tomb, it says, The once and future king. See, when King Arthur was in place, the world, the kingdom, was as it was, should be. The once and future king. We know those stories. We love those stories. Right now, my, my kids and I are watching Lord of the Rings. Okay, and we, these are long movies, and we're two and a half in, right? We're on the final one. It's the third story, The Return of the King. And here, even our, our modern literature, here's this story. And we know the underlying, there's a lot going on and, and some cool stories, but the underlying theme in all of these movies is that there's this hidden king in the north. And when this king finally is revealed and comes to power, the world will blossom. Right? It's a great picture. But we have these stories in our heart. We know these stories. The Lord of the Rings, the Robin Hoods, the King Arthur, and on and on the list goes. And it's amazing that we know these stories, and we kinda, we, we're kind of drawn to those stories, aren't we? But when you look at the actual record of kings that have lived, it's not pretty. It's abysmal. The, the kings that actually lived, you know, there was tyranny, and there was oppression, and there were lives destroyed. The record, the real record of kings, it, it's terrible. It's not very good. But we're drawn to these stories of kings we long for, them. and kings throughout human history have not been good. But yet they still have a, the story of, a, of the king still has a powerful impact on us. Aren't we drawn to it still? I mean, look, look at the kings that, I mean, look, look at, you know, even England, where they have that royal line, right? I, I was looking on Twitter this morning, and here's ABC's running a special, The Final Hundred Days of Princess Diana, right? And Americans are drawn to it, right? When Prince, was it Harry and Kate Middleton? Somebody knows that. Harry? Yeah, right. All right, but when they got married. What, did they publicized? It was on TV. Everybody's watching this, this wedding, and we're drawn to this this king, right? We're drawn to that lineage, that royal line. Well, it doesn't happen in America, but what do we do in America? I, I don't know if there's any NBA any NBA fans in here. Two. You guys are great. So you guys will understand this analogy here then. But but right now, who who is probably the most famous basketball player? LeBron James. And what is LeBron's nickname? King James. King James, right? And you didn't even watch basketball. In fact, you were calling that soccer ball a basketball before. Wasn't it? So, King James, right? We we make up these kings. These you know, we don't have a lineage of kings here in the United States, but all of a sudden, what do we do? We replace other people. These great athletes, King James, right? What do we do with billionaires? Same thing. What do we do with movie stars? We, we turn them into these, these kings that we want to follow. We want to follow their lives. We want to be impacted by their lives because we're drawn to it. So this idea of kings reigns true in our life, right? Well, why is that? I think it's because we, we have this memory. We have this memory of this ancient king, this true king one who ruled with wisdom and power and love and justice. And I think we were created, in our heart, we were created to follow that king. We were created for it, the ultimate king, that we would follow him, that we would worship him, that we would fall on his knees. And so in our hearts and in our minds, there is a longing for a king. All of us created that way, that we would long for a king. And so when we don't know the ultimate king, when we don't know Jesus, and we don't have that relationship with this king of kings, what do we do? We'll we replace it, don't we? And we follow the King James's or the prince and princess, or the queen of England, or whoever it might be, we're drawn to those things. Because our heart longs for that. We were created for that. We were created for a king. And these earthly kings, they're just, even the good ones, even David, just dim reflections of the ultimate king, Jesus. The Bible shows us if we would reject the true king, eventually we're going to fill it with somebody else. We're going to fill it with something else. We'll make something else a king or someone else a king in our life. We were created to follow and worship the ultimate king. And if you don't find the real king, you're going to replace it with a false one. Hebrews, Hebrews, it mentions that verse 7 is mentioned, and we're reminded that God has literally and fully given us the real king, a king above all kings in Jesus. We have a king. If we continue and we look at verses one through three here, it says, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. I think what we see in these first three verses in Psalm chapter two is, you know, we we can read through this whole Psalm and we can understand the Bible and there's this need that, that we have a king, that Jesus has come, and the king of kings has arrived. But if we search the heart of man and we even look at these first three verses, understand the heart of man rejects the king. The heart of man hates the king. If we are left to our own device and we are left to who we, who we are, we, we hate him. We hate the king. Look, look at verse 3. It says, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Now, looking at that, you would say, okay, what? what do, the king's got him in bondage. You know, he's slave. Well, what it is in the Hebrew there, what the writer's saying is, is basically it's like a yoke, right? A yoke with an oxen. And so what they're saying, they're not saying that, hey, I'm some sort of slave. But what they're saying is, is a reference to this, this yoke that they have is they don't want somebody to own them. They don't want someone to rule over them. They don't want someone who demands their everything, demands everything them to be yoked why because the heart of man the heart of man hates that right I mean look at how we're how we anybody raised a kid here yeah it's not easy work is it Uh, it's not easy Uh, this this morning I I, my three-year-old is super cute I love her but you know what she wanted her drum and I'm, I'm in a hurry, I can't find her drum, but she starts throwing a tantrum because she can't find her drum, right? All about her, well, daddy's got to go, daddy's got to go. I want my drum, and she's got her drum sticks, but can't find her drum, you know, throws him to the ground, that type of thing because she can't find her drum. And if we raise kids, we know at the center, at the heart, there's probably a little selfishness there, isn't there? Right, there's a little bit, oh, it's, it's all about me. It's all about my life. Now, we have a role to play. Ultimately, our our biggest role is to point him to Jesus. But we got a role to play to help him realize, you know what, this life is not just centered around you. It's not just about you. George MacDonald said this. This is his quote. The one principle of hell is I am my own. I am my own. It's the one conviction that's shared in hell, but it's also the one thing that can create a hell in our life. That I am my own. I am the master of my ship, right? The master of my soul, the captain of my soul. I'm all of these things. At the heart of man, that's what exists. That we're in control. That it's all about me. It's about what I want. It's the one conviction that's shared that can create hell in our relationships, in our marriage, in the neighborhood, in our schools, at our job. Because it's all about ourselves. And mankind, when left to ourselves, that's how we operate. If my daughter raised herself, it would be all about her, her drum, right, what she wants. That's how we are. That's how mankind is. It's all about me and what I want, the captain of my own soul. And it's the essence of every human being. And we hate this idea. The reason we hate the king and this idea of a king is because we don't want somebody To rule and reign over us. We don't want somebody to control our lives. We don't want somebody we have to answer to. Because that's not at the heart of man. We don't want that. And you look and, and you see what happened when the king showed up. What happened when Jesus showed up? Jesus was rejected. Jesus was spit on. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was flogged. He was whipped. He was beat. Ultimately, Jesus was killed. Because at the heart of man, we hate the king. We don't like the idea of someone ruling over us. The perfect king shows up. Perfect king shows up. And he's rejected. He's beat. All of those things. Because we hate him. We hate the king. Flannery uh, O'Connor, uh, to illustrate the point more, she, she was writing a book, and there's there a, there a cool quote in that book, and it's, it's simple, but here's what it says. There was already a deep, black, wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. The way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. See, people, people hate the king, right? Right? People don't hate God. Do they hate God? I mean, if you ask people in general, do they hate God? No, you know what they hate? They hate the biblical God. They hate the God that tells us, hey, be holy because I am holy, right? It's that yoke. (laughs) It's that yoke. They hate the, the one that says, you know what, you need to hate your mom and dad and follow me, Oh, what's Jesus saying? Jesus isn't literally telling us to hate our mom and dad, but to love him and follow him and have such devotion to him that in comparison it looks like we hate our family because we love him so much. That's what Jesus wants for us. And so you see this quote, the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. And you look at the world and the culture in which we live in, and we got a culture and a world that, you know, for the most part, it's spiritual. For the most part, okay, we don't hate God. But when they encounter the true king, they hate him. Because <laughs> what's he want? Right? To follow me. To, to love me so much that anything else you do looks like hatred. Because of your love and devotion to me. So we have this religious guy and he figures the way to avoid Jesus is to be as good and moral as possible to be good and more impossible how how does that avoid jesus what what are you talking about well if i'd ask the question and i'd ask you have you you know have you been a good person how are you in comparison to other people you know what i'm a pretty good guy you know in comparison look at the world what's going on out there there's all kinds of murders taking place you know isis all these things i'm a pretty good guy right i've got got my act together i've done some good things Is that that how we respond? Or are we at a place where we know we are so helpless and so lost that we couldn't go on without knowing Jesus, without having a relationship with the king of kings? Because you look at, hey, the, the spiritual, moral person, they do good things. You know what? I'm not as bad as this person. But the person who knows the king and longs for the king and loves the king is that person that realizes, man, I am so helpless, and I'm so lost, and I'm so hopeless without Jesus. That's what he wants. He wants us to realize how much we need him. See, the person, the moral that rejects the king, that hates the king, they're doing good things. They're doing okay. But they don't want to be bound by that yoke, By that burden. You have no hope except for the mercy that God has shown you through Jesus. And so many people use morality really to avoid Jesus, to keep from really having to depend on him and having to submit on him, to submit to him. Have we got to a place, and this is a question to ask ourselves, have we got to a place where we have seen our own hate for that yoke, that burden of the king. Because I think that's where it begins. We must first realize that. We must first realize how hopeless and lost and broken and how much we need him, how much we need that yoke, how much we need that king. Verse 10 says this, verse 10 through 12, Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your ways will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. What do we see? We see a great need for a king. See, look, and, and we know, and the Bible shows us that there is this great king. There is this great king that came. But we also see, and we know by just examining the hearts of man, that we hate the king. We want nothing to do with the king. To left to ourselves, we would reject him. We would be like when Jesus came, we would be with, there with him, right? We'd spit, we'd mock, we'd flog, we'd do all these things. Because that's, that's man. That's the heart of Man. We hate the king. We hate the burden of the king. But we need him. We need the king. Look what you see in verses 10 through 12. Serve the Lord. Celebrate. Kiss the king. What are the options? We can either serve the king, celebrate the king, kiss the king, embrace the king, the king, or, or not. Those are the two options. Uh, Tim Keller had this quote. He says, there is no refuge from the king. There is only refuge in the king. There is no refuge from the king, only refuge in the king. In other words, this yoke, this yoke that seems like such a burden, that seems like such something that would hold us back, this service, eventually it becomes our freedom. The one thing that once was a burden now is freedom. I think to illustrate this, uh, I, I think if you look at any, any craft, whether it be athletics or uh, music or any craft that you would look at, you look when somebody begins to hone a craft, what, what do they do? You work at it, you work at it. Does it take time? Does it take energy? Does it take all of these things? Is it a burden? If I want to become a great musician, and I have absolutely no gift or talent in that area, but let's just pretend for a minute, I want to become a great musician, okay? What is that gonna take? Practice, well it's gonna take a new, probably new genes for starters, a, new, a father with talent and a mother with talent. Uh, I'm just kidding. Ed. Uh, So what it's going to take is going to take practice, right? I'm going to spend time honing that skill and it is going to be a burden. It's going to pull me away from other things. It's going to distract me from other things. I'm going to spend time and energy. Have you ever seen somebody who spends all this time on the guitar and you can see their fingers pay the price sometimes? And you see it. They're honing their skill. They're honing their craft and they're spending all their time doing that. But you know what? When they get to a point when they've mastered that craft, and now in the moment when they're, they're performing, whether it be sports or music or whatever it might be, but they're performing that craft, there's a sense of you're fully alive. There's a sense of I'm using my talents, I'm using my skills, and this, this is where I find my freedom. I wasn't a great basketball player, but I remember that was, that was what drove me for so many years, and I loved playing, and I'd work at it, I'd work at it, and, man, I love being out there. And there's a sense of kind of being alive when you're out there, using the skill that you've worked so hard at. That once maybe it was a burden, and it took you from other things, and it took time, and it was hard work, but now there is freedom in it. And it's the same thing as we look, that this yoke, this yoke of the king, at first it may be seen as a burden. It may be seen as something that holds us back. But when you fully embrace and you fully realize that his yoke is easy, it's a place we find our freedom. It's a place we find that we are truly alive. When we are in service of the king, when we celebrate his rule, when we kiss the sun, we're fully alive. We're living life, that full and abundant life. Come to give life and life abundant. This is what Jesus offers. This is what the King of Kings offers us a full and abundant life. And although it may look into the world and how our heart is, that, oh man, it's a burden to follow Jesus, right? To give up all these things, to deny myself, pick up my cross, and follow Him. Wow, what a burden. But when we fully realize it, we fully embrace it. It becomes a place of freedom. Freedom to follow the king. To know the king and follow him. You need a king. And until you come under the yoke of the king, you will never, never realize your full potential. God God has a plan for us. God has created great things for us to do. And until we come under that yoke, of Jesus we're never going to realize it we're never going to realize our full potential we're never going to blossom In every human there is potential and in the king you will blossom and you only have potential if you realize you need to come under the yoke of that king we need a king I think there are two needs that that every human has Every human desires. And the first is to to know that we are making a difference, right? That our life counts for something. Don't we want that? Don't we long for that? That our life would count for something. And the second one is that we have this great need to be loved. I think these are true for for any human. Two things we long for. I mean, I love about this and the, the yoke that Jesus offers, the yoke that our king offers us serve the lord celebrate his rule kiss the king until you serve the king and kiss the king you'll never fully understand what it is to be alive this is what he offers the king of kings his yoke is easy serve the lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling Kiss his son and you will be angry. And your way will lead to destruction for his wrath can flare up. But here's how it ends. Blessed, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Have you found refuge in the king? Do you know the king? I'm gonna have Caitlin play just a short video. I, I think we've seen it before, but I love the words because I think as we... We think and we dwell on the king. These are powerful words describing our king and who he is. That's why we're here this morning, isn't it? We're here to worship the king of kings. We're here to dwell and think about the king of kings. And probably more importantly, as we look at our lives, man, we want to understand his yoke is easy. We want to understand as we go out into this lost and broken world and a world that hates the king, To live a life for the king, that others may be drawn to the king because of how we live. So I would do a poor job of describing how beautiful our king is, but this is S.M. Lockridge describing our king.
1: He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. The sick, he cleans the lepers, he forgives sinners, he discharges debtors, he delivers the captive, he defends the feeble, he blesses the young, he serves the unfortunate, he regards the age, he rewards the diligent, and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a frame of wisdom, he's a doorway of deliverance, he's a pathway of peace, he's a roadway of righteousness, he's a highway of holiness, he's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. his goodness is limitless, his mercy is everlasting, his love describe him, so yes, he's indescribable he's incomprehensible he's invincible he's irresistible well you can't get him out of your mind you see you can't get him off of your head you can't outlive him and you can't live without him well the pharisees couldn't stand him but they found out they couldn't stop him Pilate couldn't find any fault in him terror couldn't kill him it could and the
2: could yeah. Transition into a time where we where we take the bread and the juice uh, as a reminder that Jesus gave his life. He shed his blood for us. And you know, before we can take refuge in the king, something amazing had to happen. The king had to leave his refuge. He, had to, he was the only king who left his throne. He gave up his throne and traded it for a cross. And that's what we're remembering here. And the gospel today is this, if you've never heard it, that the king of the universe, the perfect one, gave his life for us. And he offers his righteousness in exchange for our sin. So that you today, if you'll put your trust in Jesus Christ, God sees you as righteous and holy before him. And that's what we're remembering. And, and so if you have already done that, if you've already believed in Jesus, we invite you up to come and to take the bread and the juice and to join us in remembering him. And if you've never trusted in Jesus, uh, you know, we would love to talk to you. We would love to tell you about this king who gave his life for yours. Uh, let's give thanks for the, the bread and the cup. Father... Our punishment was poured on Jesus, this indescribable king who took our place. Father, we pray that our response this morning would be to bow the knee, to humble our hearts, to say, Father, we have sinned against you. But this Jesus, this perfect king, has taken our place. He has bore the punishment that we deserved. Father, as we, as we take this bread and this cup, uh, may you just renew us. May you help us to lay down our sins uh, once more at the foot of the cross this week and to be reminded of the grace and strength that we can carry with us out of here. Uh, Jesus, you are our king, and it's in your name we pray.